we're obviously still in the midst of this self-quarantine and uh, causing us all to be alone. And the whole world kind of came to a standstill. Um, can we find a deeper understanding in the world's business being interrupted? And I think that there's something very, very meaningful and hopeful and exciting about it. As much as we pray for the whole thing to be over already and that we should only see Hashem's revealed blessings, we still have to poke a little deeper and try to figure out what could be uh, the, the going on over here that is causing this interruption. Anybody that, by the way, I forgot to mention, anybody that wants to dedicate this year, uh, post cheer, please let me know. Uh, that's for schus, for anybody that needs a schus. I do want to mention uh, my brother-in-law, um, Aaron Eliyahu ben Leah for Rafu Shalema, David ben Shoshana, Avram Aaron ben Yenta, Darom ben Rivka, and if I forgot anybody, um, I'm sure there's so many that need a refuah, but should be refuah name for everyone. Um, okay. And I do want to thank uh, those who sponsored last week's class, post-class. Um, don't have my phone with me right now to remember. Morvich. Jo Josh Morvich. Yashikoyach. Thank you, Josh for that dedication. May the Abish to give you, your family, much bracha, hatzlacha, <coughs> revealed good, and a wonderful, wonderful yomtiv. Okay. So I'm I'd like to address this interruption of the world as we know it. What could this possibly mean? So I had a conversation with a beautiful Jew um, that was ill, and Baruch Hashem, um, he managed to come out safely in the other end of the tunnel. He, I mean, Rahman al-Utzlan, God forbid, he almost wasn't with us anymore. He's a good friend of mine. And um, he went in, submitted himself to the hospital, actually went to the hospital twice. Uh, one time they told him his, he can take a breath in. He thought he was, he wasn't, he was really not feeling well from the corona. And he knew he had the virus and he went there and he, they all told him to take a deep breath in and hold his breath for 20 seconds and he was able to count for 24 seconds so they sent him home. They said, you're okay. Well, just a few days, two, three days later, he ended up coming back to the hospital and he couldn't actually take that breath for longer than three seconds or four seconds. They wheeled him into the, into the hospital on a wheelchair. They asked him if he can walk. Uh, it's a pretty young fellow. And the next thing he knew, um, that's the last he remembers. Now, he described to me what was going on. He was, he was down and under for nine days, nine days that he was on a ventilator. And um, now he described to me something horrific, really horrific. And this should be shared for two reasons. The practical reason, as you can hear soon, but it also, I think, it gave me a lot of perspective on what's going on that possibly is this related to what's, what's happening here on a deeper level. He described to me because of the drugs, that the heavy drugs that they were giving him, um, which obviously caused him to be hallucinating, and the fact that there was a complete disconnect from his family, because they're not one of the horrible things about this whole situation, because it is so contagious, the hospitals are not allowing family members to visit. So if they're awake enough, they can talk on the phone, it's one thing, but if they're, you know, knocked out and they can't have contact with their family, um, these people that are ill, um, on ventilators or maybe 
yeah, I would imagine maybe those that are intubated and so on and so forth, have no connection. So he had no recollection that he ever was submitted to the hospital. It knocked out his memory. He didn't know anything. And suddenly he wakes up and he finds himself in a room and uh, not knowing where he is. And he, did not, he, he didn't put it together that he's in a hospital. And he thought he was in a hotel room. But he was kind of tied up. I'm not exactly sure. I didn't ask him that detail. Maybe he was kind of tied up. Maybe they didn't want him to move or pull out the wires with his hands or something. So he felt and he thought... Again, in his mind, he's trying to figure what's going on. He thought he was kidnapped. He was put away. He couldn't figure out who did it to him. And he, he was there for nine days, and he thought that he was, that the time that he was there was at least over six years. Imagine the torment and the suffering and the pain of thinking that you're locked up, you're in a helpless situation, and this is going on for over six years. Now he told me that he spoke to other, or his wife spoke to others, that uh, uh, spouses of people that were ill, and they got a phone call also where they thought one of their, one of their um, people that was on, um, in the same situation called his wife and said, they're poisoning me, get me out of here, call 911. So it's horrible. So his, his plea for those that family members or friends or anybody who can reach the people that are ill to please get them somehow the messages through nurses or somehow to be able to tell them where they are and what's going on. Um, so what was nine days was to this person six years. He told me that when he got back home, Baruch Hashem, and not being able to walk for nine days. He says he has to like relearn how to walk. And the whole experience, which the, the head nurse spoke to him, or maybe she was the, she wasn't the doc, I think she was the nurse, um, in the hospital told him when he came back to himself that um, there were many times in this period that he was much closer to the other side and they thought he wouldn't make it. So obviously he realizes that he has a whole new um, lease on life that he Hashem gave him new life and as a result of that he feels that he's a changed person May Hashem give him the ability to maintain that that inspiration at least if you've gone through it take the inspiration and therefore to start life anew being far more dedicated towards his purpose and mission in this world as opposed to being caught up in all the distractions that Sadly, is part of the human condition that we get caught up in things that we find out when we go through a crisis that they're not so important. Um, what, I, what I am seeing or taking from this story is that the condition of this, the corona, which is impacting the entire world, I'm going to derive something from the extreme case in the extreme case of those that were really, really, the corona hit them to the fullest, so much so that it overtook their bodies and, and damaged their lungs to the point of almost no return, um, what was a nine-day experience, Baruch Hashem, was, this person is a young and healthy person, and he was able to come out of it after nine days, um, was not just an event of nine days, but it was a complete metamorphosis in the sense, first of all, that what, what, what was nine days 
was experienced at his end as if it was six years. Another thing, it completely detached him from, from all of reality to the point that, as I mentioned, as he said, he had no, no idea what happened to him. And it was only after, this is what he told me, that he prayed to God when he finally relinquished, when he finally gave up trying to fight it. See, he, he wasn't even in contact with any nurses because for some reason they only came in when he was sleeping. He did not catch them, and obviously they're keeping them very much quarantined, so the doors were closed. He can see them from across the window. He tried to catch their attention to talk to them, but it didn't work. Imagine the misery that he was going through. So when he finally realized that I can't fight it, I must accept it, and he started praying and davening to Hashem, please, just get me home, get me home. Please save me from this hotel, <laughs> again, from this abduction. I've been abducted. Please take me home, just for the sake of my wife, for the sake of my children. And he felt that God answered his prayers. But going back, his experience was one that was so, so disconnected from the previous reality. And now that he's coming back and kind of um, re-entering the normal world, it's almost like he was in another world, and re-entering what we look at as the normal world, it's not going to be the same from here on and forward. It's going to be a new life, a life plugged in with a deeper connection and living on a higher level of consciousness than, than, than before. So what, what that means, I believe, for all of us is that we are also going through a disruption. We have to thank Hashem, those of us that stayed healthy and did not have to go through this, or those who went through it but in a minor manner, not in such an extreme manner, should also look at this, again, my suggestion, should also look at this occurrence and this event also as a, 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 even though, you know, for us it's just a discomfort of not being able to leave our homes and going about business as usual and do the regular stuff we're used to if you go to the gym or going, uh, I, love, I love going out into the outdoors and going on a hike. Yesterday I just took my few, two kids and we just went for a drive because we can't just go crazy. Just drove out. And over here in California, you know, we have all these nice places you can drive and scenic areas. And I just wanted to get out and see some mountain, see something. And they cordoned off every, you know, just road, <coughs> roadside, um, you know, scenic overlook. Even that, they're not allowing you. They're closing it off with, with yellow tape as if it was a crime scene. You can't go out even and take a look or, or stop out at a, at a, at a beach or even though you'll be the only one there. Everything is cut off, shut down. Um, so we should, so this disruption of our regular things that we're used to be doing, let's see it as bigger than what it is. Because it really is bigger, that's what I mean. It's bigger than the small inconveniences. Don't just, let's not see it just as a personal discomfort happening. It's a major change that's taking place. Perhaps let's look at this little period of a month or six weeks, and I don't know how long it's gonna stretch. Hopefully Mashiach is gonna come the second days of Pesach, let it come even before, and this whole, this whole craziness, Meshagas, will come to an end. If chas we have, I mean, I don't even wanna say that, but how long are they saying? Another six weeks, another eight weeks of this quarantine? Maybe perhaps we can see this as as a period of six years, as a complete section, an era, that's the idea, an era in our lives, 
because it's possible that just like, and not just as possible, it definitely is so, that just like in this person's individual life, this, um, he was hallucinating and seeing it in his, in his, from his own imaginations, but anybody that's outside of that, of his, so to speak, hotel, hospital room, anybody outside of that realized that, you know, you're, you're just hallucinating, you're imagining. So there is, a, there is a reality that's going on, but he was completely disconnected from it. I think that's true about ourselves as well. We're within this corona construct, but there is a greater truth outside of it. And what's the truth that's outside of it? That's the Torah truth, that's the godly truth. What could that be? What could that be? Can we perhaps stick our head out of the, our hallucinations? We're also hallucinating. We're also drugged up. We're drugged up by, by klippa, by the unholiness that has been feeding us all the, all the distortions for thousands of years. We, we, we buy into what news says to us and what the street says to us and what this, whatever Chacham says and so on and so forth, instead of hearing what the Torah says. What are the words of God? What's the truth? If we can stick our heads out and read and hear the truth and then bring that back into the construct where we are and share that with as many people as we can to say that what we are imagining as the reality is not the real reality. It's not really what's true. What really is true is we are entering into Moshiach's era. And because we're entering into the days of Moshiach, changes are happening in the world because when Mashiach will come, the world will change. And one of the primary changes that are going to happen in the world is that mankind is going to change its occupation and its pursuit. As we're going to see soon what that change is going to constitute, what it's going to be, what kind of change is going to happen. But because there is going to be this massive change um, happening, Ezra Sashem, very soon, I think that in order that we should not be shocked and we shouldn't be completely disoriented by the change that happens at the coming of Mashiach, the change already, so the Hashem has given us this corona period, which is kind of a, Mashiach isn't here yet in a complete revealed sense, but certain changes that are going to happen in the world in the fact that previous occupations are going to end and we're going to go into a new occupation and a new, uh, a new form of business, a new form of life. So our previous lives have been on a very, to a very great degree disrupted. It has come to an end. So if Mashiach Tzedkenu arrives, is revealed, and he suddenly starts telling the world, shut your businesses, close down from what you've been doing. I have other occupation, I have other pursuit for you to pursue. You know what, you don't have to visit the sports arena, you don't have to go to the games. I have other things that might interest you and hopefully eventually, as we're gonna see soon, will become your obsession once you get used to it and so on and so forth and get a taste of its richness. Um, he won't meet up with resistance because we've already shut down Yankee Stadium. We've already shut down Dodger Stadium. We have already shut down the Staples Center and there aren't any games to watch. 
There aren't any theaters to go to. There aren't any other distractions. And we don't even, even have our offices to go to, our factories. And all the work that we've been doing, everything has already been shut down for us. And we've learned that we are, so far, I mean, obviously we realize that in current, we won't survive forever, but so far we've been surviving. No one looks emaciated. We've been eating, we've been living. And when Mashiach will come, without all that intense work and without being completely pulled in and involved in this rat race of making another dollar and increasing our wealth, um, we're gonna live. And how are we gonna live? We're gonna grow and we're gonna thrive. And we're gonna thrive like we've never done, even without this overly investment and engagement and, uh, and, and, uh, and um, preoccupation that we're completely preoccupied and making a living. We're actually, after Mashiach is gonna come, we're actually gonna start living. We're not gonna be busy in making a living. We're actually gonna be living. So we have to practice already living. Now is the time to start practicing. So I think there's two phases over here. Phase number one is the disconnect from what we've been previously doing. And it's something that's very hard to disconnect from because we've been doing it for thousands of years. From the curse that Hashem cursed Adam, Adam Arishon, and Chava, um, with the sweat of your brow, you will eat you will eat bread, we've been at it uninterruptedly for thousands of years. And we can't even think, it doesn't even, it wouldn't even, it, it's not possible for us to entertain the thought not to continue doing that, to stop. So how is Mashiach gonna get us to stop? As inspiring as he is, and as charismatic as he might be, and as <coughs> convincing that he might be that that's not necessary anymore, just by mere habit, we're so connected to this that I have to be at work from 9 to 5, or let's say better, from 7 till 9 at night, and I can't leave go, and even then I can't let go of my phone and of my addiction to needing to answer every email and so on and so forth, in which it completely consumes us from head to toe 24-7. We needed a break from that. And circumstances has forced all of humanity to break away because we can't do anything about it because everything is shut down. And if we have a period of this, I don't know for how long, but if this goes on for three months or for six months, we have learned already, that's phase one, stopping to be busy with the old stuff. Then we should begin to practice and acclimate ourselves and get used to the new occupation. And a good thing is if we can start doing that now as well. So what is that? That is what Maimonides says in the laws of Mashiach, in which we will find out now what is going to be our new occupation. And perhaps that's what it's all about. It's just the transitioning which Hashem is leading us through right now. So here we are. I'm going to quote from you from Ramau. This is all very important as we're reaching the second days of Pesach, because Pesach is the holiday the yomtiv of Pesach is the yomtiv of um, Geula, of redemption but Pesach has two parts to it the first part of Pesach is the previous redemption and the, and the second part of Pesach is the up and coming redemption the redemption is we celebrating the future redemption especially the last day of Pesach 
which over here in Chutzliar, it's outside of Eretz Yisroh, we have an extra day, we have eight days. So on the last day of Pesach, is particularly on Mashiach day, as we read it in the Haftorah, that there is the whole Haftorah is dedicated to Mashiach, and especially there is a custom which is taught to us by the Holy Baal Shem Tov, which comes from the Baal Shem Tov, that we should eat a meal on the end of Pesach, literally an hour or two before the evening of the eighth day of Pesach, um, a little bit around sunset time, wash before sunset, and um, make this special meal. And uh, the tradition is at, um, at, that it's a meal associated with the Baal Shem Tov. The Baal Shem Tov ate that meal. And the Baal Shem Tov himself referred to it, I think, on the last year of his life as the Moshiach meal. It's a tradition that has been passed on amongst other Hasidim as well, Chernobyl, Ruzhin, in which they have this Moshiach, they have this meal. They call it the Baal Shem Tov meal. The Chabad tradition is that it's a Moshiach meal, but also associated with the Baal Shem Tov. And um, the, it evolved over the years to become something used to be done only by tzaddikim, only by the great rabbis. And then it's evolved to becoming more public, primarily since the previous Chabad Rebbe came to the United States of America is when he started speaking about it on Achron Shel Pesach. And then his son-in-law, our Rebbe, took it to the masses and so much so that based on a tradition from the fifth Chabad Rebbe, Rabbi Shalom Dave Ber, known as the Rashab, who only one time in his life um, asked his students of the yeshiva in a very special year, the year Tafresh Samach Vav, which is the year 1906, is when he, based, he asked his students, the yeshiva, and he asked that they give every single boy, there were 310 students then, four cups of wine similar to the first meal on, on the Seder night, four cups of wine. And these four cups of wine are related to the future redemption. He only did it once, but the Rebbe instituted that this should be done by every single person, every Jew. So I would recommend all those who listen to this year who perhaps doesn't have this custom, if you haven't been doing it, Get yourself, you need to buy more wine, go today to the market, get yourself some wine and drink the four cups. And the Rebbe became stronger and stronger and stronger and stronger with this. And he said, literally, this is the meal of Moshiach. By eating, by washing and eating matzah then and drinking the four cups of wine, you're actually absorbing Moshiach into your body and you're anchoring Moshiach into the world. We all realize that Moshiach is an occurrence that's there is a Mashiach power that has overtaken the world in a strong way, but it's, it hasn't actualized, it hasn't materialized in the completion and the, what we call Makabapatish, the final blow of the hammer that finishes, completes something. We, haven't, <coughs> we don't yet have the Redeemer visible to our eyes. We want that to happen. We can all make that happen in a very unique way on the eighth day of Pesach. I'm, I'm literally calling out to every Jew who hears this, this, this shear, please, please do this. Take a, a little bit of matzah, eat it. This is on Thursday afternoon, okay? Not around wherever you are, but around sunset. Make sure to eat, wash, and say that you are washing to the Mesudas Moshiach and drink the four cups of wine and have special intention. And the Rebbe then instructed that by one of his latest Fabrengans in, in, in Tafshim Memtes, which is in uh, 1989, the Rebbe then said that anybody who drank the cups and did not have in mind that this should hasten the redemption, should drink it again. He hasn't fulfilled his, 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 the minhag of doing it. That's how strong this, 
and how much impact this has on the world. So, um, so therefore, in, in the spirit of that, I'm going to dedicate this particular shir um, to Mashiach and to the Mashiach era and understanding what it is, what's supposed to happen and what's going to be the world occupation when Mashiach comes. I'm going to study from the last chapter of Maimonides, the last chapter of Rambam in, in his entire book of Yad HaChazaka or Mishneh Torah. And this is in the Laws of Kings, Perek Shnei Masar, the 12th chapter, um, Halacha Dalid and Halacha He. Okay? Um, so, um, and, 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 and what I'm going to do is I'm going to uh, share with you an interpretation, an explanation, a phenomenal explanation on these two halachas based on a hadrin, a teaching that the Rebbe gave, the Lubavitcher Rebbe gave in 19, Tavshin Memhe, in 1985, when he made the first Siyam Harambam on Yud Aleph Nisan, on the 11th Nisan of his birthday, he made the first Siyam Rambam because he instituted then that everybody should study Rambam every day, and it was the first Siyam of the Rambam, and the Rebbe then gave an explanation on this. The Rebbe would give every year an explanation phenomenally on following the, the years after that, like another five, I think five or six Hadranim in which he explained in an unbelievable way the conclusion of Rambam and also the beginning of Rambam. Okay, as the Minog is, then when you finish, complete a book, you should study the last few passages and the Rebbe would add stunning insight into, into the uh, subject and the subject over here is the Messianic era. So let's see what Rambam says. Rambam says as follows, Halacha our prophets and our wise men did not long, did not aspire for the days of Mashiach, which we know all Jews wait for Mashiach, we've been waiting for Mashiach. But the Rambam says not for external considerations. Not that they should rule over the entire world, not for world dominance, which is something that is going to happen because the entire, all of humanity will respect the Jewish people. And as a result of that, the Jewish people will have uh, a, a control over the entire world. Again, not to control in any way of anything, just to inspire humanity to higher, to greater, to greater things. But that's not the reason why they aspired, because they wanted dominance. And not that they should rule over the nations. Not even that the nation should respect them and elevate them and, 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 and speak highly of them. No, no, not, not for the honor that we're going to get. Not that we will finally live in a time of affluence where we can eat and drink and rejoice, which is also true about Mashiach's days, that we're going to be able to do the food and there's not going to be any hunger as we're soon going to see, and everybody's going to have plenty. So we are going to be in a, in a good state in terms of our material blessings, but that's not the reason why they were waiting for that time. Not for the material bliss. The reason was because they were anticipating a time when there won't be any more distractions. They will be able to be free, completely unoccupied with anything else so that they should be able to devote themselves to Torah study and its wisdom. Because at that time, they won't have any more any creditors coming after them. We will not be disturbed by the constant need of paying bills. That's the different form of creditor, right? You get, you open up, you go, 
<coughs> take out the mail or you open up your emails. Today you're an electric. Uh, if things are already uh, in electronic bills, paperless. <laughs> but it doesn't help when the bill comes in if it's paperless or not. You have an electric bill that has to be paid. You have an insurance bill that has to the car insurance and the life insurance and 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 and, and copay of of, of 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 medical insurance that you didn't pay and the mortgage or the rent and all the other bills that are coming in, which create much stress and sometimes anxiety and definitely occupy much space in our mind that it does not allow us to be free and open to uh, intellectual pursuits. So in those days we will not have any of these problems because everything will be taken care of. And as a result of that we're going to be able to learn Torah and the gain of learning Torah will be that we will be able to come merit the world to come which is the ultimate closeness to God according to Maimonides. Now I will just parenthetically make a short little statement over here. And that is that this is Rambam going according to the Rambam's view that the ultimate stage is not the Messianic era. Messianic era is a preparatory stage for a, another period in which we will go even to a deeper and higher place, but that way, for that we have to leave our bodies down here and the soul will be elevated to the world to come. Um, this is Maimonides' opinion. This particular idea is not accepted by the mystics and the Kabbalists and many of the great codifiers, including the Ramban foremost. Ramban, Ramosha ben Nachman, contemporary of the Rambam, who actually lived a little bit after the Rambam. In any case, his opinion is, and this is again based on Jewish mysticism, the final station, the final destination of all of humanity is not to leave this world and go back as a soul, not in a body, but the final destination is going to be down here in this world where souls will remain in bodies and that's the resurrection. And a resurrection according to Nachmanides is for all of eternity because the ultimate connection to God is in this world. So according to that, the Mashiach state will lead right into this perfect state, the resurrection in which we will remain in Torah study and in cleaving to God alive over here. So not like Maimonides who says that this will lead us to another world. That the intention of learning Torah is to get elsewhere. That's just parenthetical. Now we go back to Rambam. Like we've explained, like the Rambam says, it's explained in the laws of repentance where he explains this whole idea of what the days of Mashiach are all about. So again, to summarize, in the second to the last law, in Allah Chadalit, Rambam says the purpose of all of the waiting for Mashiach is not for the matters of the goodness that, the, 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 that we will have in the material sense, but rather that all of this will lead us um, to a time in which we will be able to devote ourselves wholeheartedly and with complete devotion to the to Torah study. And now the Rambam continues. How, why? He's giving some explanation of why they will be so free to do that. So Rambam says in Allah, hey, because the world, the condition of the world will support this kind of life. Why? Because Rambam says, and in that time, there won't be there, their meaning in that reality. There won't be there won't be no hunger, there won't be a famine anywhere in the world. No one will be hungry. There won't be any war. There won't be any jealousy, the tacharus or competition. 
And Rambam now is giving an explanation. How is that going to happen? How is humanity... How is the leopard going to lose its spots? How is the world that is so plagued for with, 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 with war suddenly going to stop fighting? How are humans going to stop fighting with each other? So Rambam gives an explanation. He says, Because the goodness will be, all the goodness, affluence, there's going to be such affluence, the goodness is going to be very much available. It's going to flow to a very, very great degree. The Cholam and all of the delicacies, all delightful stuff, which now are scarce and, and, and minimal, at that time, it's going to be Mitsuyim Ka'afar, it's going to be as available as dirt. And, And the world's occupation, all of the world, won't be in anything else but to know Hashem. Ulefikach, Rambam concludes, Ulefikach yiu chachamim gedoylim, that's why, here he says, in general, the, the, this, this, um, Nusach and Rambam over here says, Yiyu chacham gedoylim, that in general, the world at large will be great, will be very wise, will be great wisdom. The other girsa, the one that the Rebbe used, meaning the, there's different versions of Rambam, Lefikach Yiyu Yisrael chachamim gedoylim, therefore the Jewish people, he's going back to what we learned in the last, the last um, halacha, that the Jewish people were waiting for Mashiach, they should be able to study Torah all day. So here he's saying, because we won't have any more interruptions, there won't be any more distractions from external things, so therefore, the the outcome of that is we're going to be able to study Torah all day, we're going to have a lot of knowledge, and Jews are going to become extraordinary scholars, chachamim gedoylim, incredible scholars, v'yoidim, and we will know, dvarim hastumim amukim, the deep mysteries, we will know all the hidden stuff. The Yasigu Das Boiram, and people will apprehend the knowledge, the mind of their Creator. Unbelievable. People will have the ability to study and learn and learn and learn, and through the Torah, which Torah is God's wisdom, we will get to apprehend Hashem's mind. According to, according to the human, human ability. Shanemar and Rambam concludes with a proof to all of this. It's a pasuk in Isaiah. It says, actually in the in the Haftorah of Achrin Shel Pesach that we're going to read. It's in Isaiah 11, Yeshaya 11. The world, the earth, will be filled with knowledge of God. Like the waters cover the sea. The world will, it will be overflowing with knowledge. Knowledge will be accessible. It will be everywhere. And we're going to study and we're going to learn. And what kind of knowledge? The knowledge of Hashem. That's the conclusion. That's where the world is heading to. It's heading to a state that the people, mankind, will not be occupied in anything else but the pursuit of knowledge. Because all the other things that we've been occupied with, Whatever we've been pursuing, whatever we've been after, whatever we've been busy with, all now, and that is to amass wealth, to make a living first, and then to increase our living, and have more of that, all that will be so available and so plenty that we won't have to pursue it, we won't have to give it any of our attention, 
and we can turn our full focus and all of our attention to getting to know the Ebershter. That's going to be the ASIC of the world. So you see, first of all, from Ramam over here, that's the main change of the days of Mashiach. The main idea is that the human being will start living already for what a human was created for. We weren't created so that we can just sustain ourselves. That's ridiculous. If you create something, you want a profit of it. If just sustaining it, if, if it, all, it's, <coughs> all that it produces is enough to sustain itself, then you close down that, that, that business. If a business is not bringing you any profit, it's just managing to keep itself alive, that's ridiculous. If we're here as humans for the last thousands of years, and all we're doing all the time is figuring out how to just breathe and live and stay alive, and even if we made technical advances, so we figured out how to live a little longer, and how we can eat and, 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 and create plenty of food for all of us to live. Yeah, but what are you living for? Now produce the profit. What's the profit that mankind was created for? The profit is that man can be in relationship with God. But we didn't have time for our, and how do you get into a relationship with God? By studying Torah and getting to know Him. But if you don't have time to study, because all the time is occupied in just sustaining yourself, so that's like, as I mentioned, just like opening a company or a business or whatever it is, and it's just managing to stay afloat, which means just to keep it, there's no profit. So mankind has to finally produce its profit. And that is the knowledge of God and the relationship. And that's going to start when Mashiach comes. Okay. So now let's take a look a little bit and get a deeper understanding in all of this by probing the words of the Rambam, the nuances, and seeing what, what is really being said over here. So the Rambam said that, the, that in those days, again, we're focusing on the last halacha, halacha hey, those days there won't be any, I'm going to pose a couple of questions now and we'll answer them all, okay? So Rambam says there won't be hunger, there won't be war, there won't be jealousy and competition. Four things. Or we can divide them into two. Hunger, hunger and war, that's, you know, external things, meaning things that are outside. Um, envy and competition <coughs> is more related to the human heart. Right, what we're feeling in the, in the inside. And the Ramam says, the reason we won't have these things, he says two things. Because there will be a lot of good in the world. There will be a lot of abundant of goodness. And he adds, And all delicacies will be available like dirt. So is this just one long description? There will be everything and everything will be so much, and how much will be available like earth? You can say that. Or perhaps in these words, Ramam is addressing something more. Okay? He's saying to, it's not just to be, you know, to, to be a little poetic or to, to write it out, to, 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 to say it in a, in a, in a, in a you know, to um, elaborate. But Ramam actually is telling you about the condition of the world in two phases. Number one, there will be a lot of good. Number two, that the delicacies will be like dirt. Okay? As we could, so I want to know what that is. That's the question. What is that? What is the second? What is he adding when he says everything will be available? Yeah, it will be a lot. Oh, how much will be like dirt? 
What's the idea behind it? Then the Ramam says, That the business of the whole world will not be for anything else, only to know God. And he adds another word, Bilvad, exclusively, only that. So what's a little problematic over here is why is the Rambam saying it in a negative manner? Why doesn't he say it in a positive way? Being that we won't be occupied with anything else, as Rambam had just said, why? Because everything will be plenty. We won't need to work for it. Everything will be... So then, then the occupation, man will have to be occupied with something. So we will be occupied with knowing Hashem. And the occupation of the entire world will be Ladas as Hashem. He doesn't say that. He says, it mean, he says something that means the same thing, but why is he saying it that way? He says, man will not be busy with anything else but to know Hashem. And then the other question is, why does he have to add, even after that, it's not enough that he says, Veloi Ella, not anything else but that. He adds another word, Bilvad, alone. It seems to be another exclusion. Even after you know it won't be to anything else. So first of all, I'll, I'll, just by saying it will not be but for that, he's, you can see from Raman that he wants to exclude something. Words, more than what he said earlier, that we're not going to be busy with, with making a living because there won't be war and these, and, and these things. He says there won't be any other business when he could have just said we're going to be occupied with serving God. The emphasis, there won't be anything else. It seems to be that there might be something that we might be busy with. Ramam has to say, no, excluding, not, not that. So that's number one. Number two, he seems to be excluding something else even beyond that. Because after he says, we will not be busy with anything else but to know Hashem, he uses another exclusion. Bilvad, alone, exclusively, nothing else but that. So we need to know what are these, what is he excluding two times? And then Ramam says, therefore the Jewish people will be very wise. So Chachamim would have been enough. Why does he add the word Gedolim, great wise? Okay, I mean to say he's just describing how great the wisdom will be. The Ramam says we will know the concealed, hidden things, the deep things. And he doesn't say what these, what, what kind of mysteries are we talking about that we will know. Later he says, for Yesigu Daspoira, we're gonna apprehend the knowledge of our creator. So you can't say the deep things that he's talking about is mysteries about God, because that he adds later. So what are the mysteries that he's talking about before that that we're gonna know? And then he says, in addition to that, we're gonna apprehend the mind of our creator, which is actually Stunning, because Ramam says in the beginning of his book that no one can know God. And here he says we pretty much will know God. And then Ramam adds, but according according to man's abilities. Which obviously, we would wonder why does Ramam have to say that? Of course it's according to man's abilities. It's a human being. We're, we're humans who are getting to know God. So it has a limitation according to man's abilities. Why does Ramam have to add those words? I think it's, it would be self-understood. <coughs> and then Ramam concludes and he says, the world will be filled with knowledge of Hashem. Finally, like the waters cover the sea. Which is describing how 
plentiful knowledge of God will be, how, how um, available or how uh, flooded the world will be flooded all over like waters covered the sea. The entire sea, wherever you look, is covered with water. Now, what is it adding when it's teaching you about the sea? What, what, what's wrong with just saying, The world will be filled with knowledge of God. By the way, in Hilchus Tshuva, in the laws of repentance, Ramam is also discussing Mashiach. And Ramam is also discussing the uniqueness of that time, how the world will be, there will be such, um, there will be an information age, there will be such knowledge spreading in the world. Over there, Ramam actually only quotes the first half of the verse. Kimola Hashem. The earth will be filled with knowledge of God. Why does Rambam over here, Dafkin, Hilchus Tshuva, conclude his book with these words, Kamayim seeming to imply that by knowing that it's like the water covers the sea, it adds something. What is it being added? So these are the questions. So let's do it very briefly. So the Rebbe says like this. When we're dealing with the problems that there are in the world, as we said earlier, two sets of problems. There is famine and, and war, and then there is jealousy and, and competition. So when the Rambam says that the reason why we will not have that anymore in the Messianic era, in the time of Mashiach, the reason we won't have that. So Rambam says it's because of two things. Number one, there will be a lot of tova, a lot of good, and and all delicacies will be available like dirt. So what is, what is, why two things? Because in order to take care of the two sets of problems, you need these two things. A lot of good is taking care that there shouldn't be any famine and there shouldn't be any, any, any war. Why? Obviously, famine, if, there's gonna be, if the earth is going to produce, if the earth is going to produce tenfold that which it's producing now, if the earth is going to produce a hundredfold what it's producing now, so the poor, poor children in Africa won't be starving anymore. There'll be enough, there'll be plenty across the planet, the whole world, everybody, even the poorest countries will have enough. <clears throat> because there's going to be plenty. We think the earth <clears throat> has reached its maximum. <coughs> Absolutely not. The earth is, is going to be able to provide way, 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 way more. By the way, we're already seeing in technology the various different, uh, you know, Israel has had technology of, ir of irrigation to take parched desert lands and actually bring out in them, like you have uh, so many um, literal desert lands in Israel that have been turned into oases and the production of all kinds of food. And that technology is being shared in Africa. It's unbelievable. And so even just done with in a technological, and obviously when Mashiach will come, um, in addition to the fact that God's presence will be in the world and therefore the world will start pumping, the earth will start pumping out with, greater, with a greater energy and so much more, but Mashiach will also enhance that, that, that technology, the science, and will help all these poor countries learn how to irrigate, bring irrigation and water and so on and so forth. There won't be any more famine. As there won't be any more famine, there won't be any more... And that will also take care that there won't be any more need for any bloodshed, for any war. All the wars that have gone on throughout all of our, since the dawn of human history, all the fighting is because people were fighting over 
you know, resources. People wanted stuff that they needed or they wanted that others had. So if, if you have oil, right? So Saddam Hussein went and invaded Kuwait because he wanted the oil. And so on, all the other wars. I want to take, you have resources. I don't have water. So we're fighting over the water supply. So by me, you know, if I'll have that, I'll have the water. No? So these are, these are this, 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 over gold, over silver, over all the stuff that others <coughs> have that can enhance your existence. But if whatever we need, water, oil, whatever, energy, imagine when we have, when the whole world used, learns how to tap into solar energy. And we can power the entire planet just with solar energy, which is plenty. I mean, obviously there are places that um, don't have so much sunshine. So figure out other means of, of production of energy. But whatever it is, in a manner that we, 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 there's never anything that you have that I don't have. So what's the reason to go to war? There is no war. Because there is plenty for everyone. So that's what the first words of Rambam. Toiva tiyo mishpas harbe eliminates famine and eliminates war. Which, by the way, we can already see today, the UN has called, again, the idea, the concept, that the, that the um, coronavirus and this whole situation that has happened in the world is an introductory state to Moshiach. You can see it from the UN having... Um, UN, uh, what was he called? Uh, head general, whatever his name, whatever his uh, title is. Um, att att not attorney general, what do they call him? Anyways, he made the announcement calling on all the conflicts in the world should come to an immediate stop. And he said many of the countries responded. Many of the places where there are still conflict, the third world countries where people were at war with each other, responded to stop the conflict. So that's already messianic. That's the idea. People will stop. But then it will stop not because of a virus, but it will stop because there will be plenty. No reason, no one will ever have any reason to ever, you know, pick up a, 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 a gun. It, it won't be necessary because whatever you need, you have. What are you going to take from someone else? What do you need from them? But then there is another thing. Even though that will not be, but there might still be envy and there might still be competition. Why? Because even if I have whatever I need, I can still be imagine, imagining that you have more than I have. That there are certain, certain delights, certain pleasures, certain things that I would like to have and I don't have it, you have it. Like we always know, the, the, you know, the human nature is to believe that the grass is greener on the other side. So because of that, there might be, there still could be, they won't, people might still harbor jealousy in their hearts. Which, which will lead constantly, which leads to competition, right? I have to do more so that we can have, I, I don't want to feel in any way that I'm lacking something that, you know, someone else has. <coughs> you know, I don't have yet my private yacht. I don't have yet my private airplane. Or my 17 vacation homes. So for that, Rambam says, that will also be eliminated. There won't be a jealous heart in the entire planet. 
The reason is because all the delicacies and all the material delights will be available like earth, like dirt. What Rambam means by that is a double meaning. First of all, because the world will produce so much and there'll be so much wealth, people can access all the pleasures. Whatever they need is just available. It's in abundance. But that itself will not do it. Because as again, there's always the thought, maybe you have more than me. But something else. When Rambam says it's available like dirt, he means it will be considered like dirt. Humanity will mature. People will come to an appreciation of what life is all about and what is important in life and what is meaningful and what is, what is um, satisfying. That the pleasures that were once considered something to, you know, to, to devote yourself and to pursue with all your energy and all your drive will suddenly become meaningless. Dirt is meaningless. Now, little kids can maybe get into a fight over a mud pile. You know, if they're at the beach and I have my sand and you have your sand, you're taking the sand away from me. You can see a little kid who doesn't realize that there's so much plenty sand, he can make his own sand. He might get into a fight with the other kid to take away his sand. Um, because sand, two reasons. First of all, he's not realizing that he has enough sand. And secondly, he can get upset because uh, the sand is important to him. Obviously, the adult, they realize, what are you fighting over sand? What are you standing over dirt? Secondly, all it is is dirt. Is when we realize suddenly, when mankind realizes that this is not what life is about, the physical sensation and the pleasure cannot in any way compare in the slightest bit to the spiritual satisfaction and the delight. And those days, physical, spirit and matter will be so unified that even physically we're going to get the greatest thrill and ecstasy and bliss from studying, from understanding, from knowledge. It will literally give us such fulfillment. And when the material, physical things devoid of that will have zero meaning. So it doesn't mean that we won't eat or drink and have the necessities of what we need. We will have that. And we will have healthy bodies. And we will have to take care of our bodies. And all that will be available enough. That won't be like dirt. Because whatever you need for your health is, will, be, will, be, will be appreciated. But the overly excessive need for physical thrills and enjoyments will become meaningless. Not just to a selected few, not just to a small group of rabbis. I mean, if you meet, if you ever had the merit to see a true tzaddik or a great Torah scholar, you know, meet these great Torah scholars. You know, like uh, in the Jewish world, is seen great, like Ramosha Feinstein, right? His entire life was devoted just to Torah study. Reb Shleim Zalman Orbach, Reb Eliyash, Reb Knievsky, and other, that's in the world of the, of the great scholars, and, and especially the world of tzaddikim. <laughs> you ever thought that they're missing out, that they didn't go on a cruise? Or they weren't in a five-star hotel? And that was like, oh, they wish they could have it. Or they can eat, you know, uh, the, the fine gourmet meals. These things have zero value. They're, they're, they're meaningless. It doesn't mean anything to them. It doesn't even begin to speak to them. Because it, and it's not like they're missing out on their life because the degree of pleasure that they get from when they're studying and when they're finding a new, a new insight that fills them with such delight and pleasure, it's not, it's not a substitute. It's like I'm, <laughs> I'm trying to figure out because I just went gluten-free a few weeks ago. 
and uh, so I'm trying to figure out, like, how do I substitute the, the, the delight of a good, crunchy outside and inside soft piece of challah, right? Uh, or, or, or uh, you know, figuring out substitutes gluten-free on, 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 on a muffin, which, which I would enjoy. Because to me, a muffin is very important. Uh, a, good, a, good, a good cinnamon bun is important. It gives me a good thrill. Um, I like to learn, but I also enjoy the material stuff of the world. But great rabbis who are way beyond that, it doesn't, even, it doesn't mean anything. There's, there's no appeal. It's, it's zero. It's not that they won't eat it if it's there and they need it, they'll eat it, but it, doesn't, it, it, it didn't in any way capture their attention. When Mashiach will come, the lights will be so available, but no one will pick it up. No one will be interested in it. You'll want to, because you'll be so, so fascinated by the rabbis that will be teaching, and they'll be teaching Torah in a way that is so fascinating. And there's constantly more information, as we're soon going to see, and more, and more innovation, and more to read, and more to learn, and to understand. And people will be gobbling up with an, with an unsatiable appetite. That's what's going to be meaningful. That's what's going to be exciting. That's what's going to be thrilling. So gold and silver and nice stuff and all these things, it's available and definitely the world will be beautiful and the architecture and the build-up and everything will be magnificent, but, but, it, but it won't be worthy of celebration because the true celebration will be for, for, for knowledge and especially as we see the knowledge of Torah and the knowledge of God. And that's the reason Ramam is saying they're going to be available, they're going to be mitsuyim ka'afar. It means in two things, available and considered like dirt. And as a result of that, of course, there is no envy and there's no competition. Then the Ramam says, <coughs> now, as we mentioned earlier, Ramam says it in a negative way, meaning, I don't mean negative in the sense negative, in a negating way. We will not be involved in anything but, and remember we said earlier, by saying that he seems to be excluding something other than just worldly pursuit, something else. So what could he be excluding? So the idea is as follows. In today's days, we also have an obligation to study Torah. And we have an obligation to make the Torah our life. The Torah is, this is your life and the longevity of your life, of your days. This is what you're occupied with. Study Torah day and night. We all have an obligation to study Torah, at least men, every Jewish man, study Torah every free moment that you're alive. Every moment, every unoccupied moment that isn't justifiably occupied, you're obligated to use it to study Torah. That's a Jewish halachic obligation. Yet, there is a difference in how that is implemented. People whose lives are, they're working people and um, business people who work for a living and, or engage in business and commerce for a living, and the way the circumstances in the world has been during the exile, especially before the technological advances that we're having today, where so much of the 
work that was done through human hands. I'm sorry, where today's days, so much of what used to be done with human hands is all being computerized and motorized and automated. Uh, but it used to all take physical labor. So people, literally to scratch out a living, had to work many, many hours a day. So then the halacha says that you still have to study Torah by day and by night, but you can fulfill that obligation by learning one chapter in the morning and one chapter in the evening. By doing that, you fulfilled your obligation. But, yeah, that's it. One chapter in the morning, as long as it takes you to learn a chapter, whatever chapter means, a chapter of Mishnah, a chapter of Rambam, a chapter. You learn a chapter of Torah in the morning, a chapter in the evening, you did your, fulfilled your obligation. Now, if you're less busy, that's if you're totally busy. If you're less busy, that means you're making a, a decent living and you can support yourself and your family to, to satisfaction. And uh, so you have more spare time. All that spare time, if you, can, if you can study an hour in the morning and an hour at night, all the better. If you can study two hours in the morning and two hours at night because your, your labor, your work is only maybe six, seven hours a day, so you have two hours at night and two hours, and do two hours at night. If you can squeeze your work into five hour a day, so on and so forth. But then there's a different category. There's a category of people whose occupation is Torah. They have devoted their lives to Torah and they've made the Torah their occupation. It means what are you busy with? What's your life all about? Torah. Nothing else. These people, these were only very great rabbis in, that have the halachic standards of what's called Torasai Umnasai. The Torah is their, is their um, umness, their craft. Torah is their, 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 their business. And it has halachic ramifications regarding their obligation to pray and so on and so forth. They might not be obligated to pray every day. Today's days, this criteria doesn't apply. But this was something to discuss in the Talmudic days. So people like that. So these people study Torah literally 24-7. I mean, besides a little bit, they have to sleep and eat. And other than that, Torah nonstop. So you say, like, Pasuk Pume Megir. So their mouth never stops Torah. Yet even people like that are not completely, completely, completely occupied only with Torah. Why? Because even people like that, even someone on the level of Torah, Torah that's very unique, yet still has to devote a little bit of their day, of their time, to earning a living. Because as Rambam sees it, and from many um, um, sources of Chazal, that Rambam, that, that, we're, that we do not approve of someone sitting back and saying, let others support me and I'm going to devote only to Torah. A person, people should at least support themselves from their own toil. And that's why we find that even the greatest rabbis would have a profession. Most notable, the Rambam himself. He was a physician. And, the point, and part of it was, as Rambam says, and I'm going to read it to you in the laws of Talmud Torah, now again, this is a halachic discussion. Not everybody accepts the Rambam's rule on this. Um, it is a halachic discussion. Where others um, hold that a person is allowed to, um, that, that a community is allowed to support their rabbi that he shouldn't have to um, engage in business, that he should be able to study Torah all along, that the Ramah discusses this. But um, Ramam is of the opinion that this is in Hilchastam, the Torah, Perek Gimel, 
The laws of Torah study in the third chapter. Anybody that takes into his heart, that he's going to engage in Torah, and he's not going to do work, and he's going to get his parnasa, his livelihood, just from people giving him charity. Ramam sees this as a desecration of God's name. It's shaming the Torah. It's excuse me, shutting off the luminance of, 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 of Judaism. He's causing himself bad. He's losing the world to come. Ramam says it's forbidden for a person to, in, to, have, to enjoy, to benefit from Torah. Because I study Torah, people will support me in this world. You're not allowed to do that. Anyways, Ramam continues. And therefore, Ramam holds that everybody has at least a little bit. If you have to work an hour a day, hour a day. Now, obviously we understand that if a person, if according to the Rambam, one, in our world it's not possible then for a person to be completely devoted just to Torah study, because even the greatest Torah scholar, unless he's wealthy, if he has wealth received uh, as an inheritance, right? But other than that, every person needs to kind of support themselves, their family, minimal. And that means not only that you don't can't devote all your time, it also means that you can't devote your entire inner resources, your mental focus and your emotional focus can't be only in Torah because there's a tiny little space in your head. Oh, I gotta, I gotta, I, 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 I have bills to pay. I have something to do. That means that even in the time they're learning, it's not 100 percent. It's 99. Maybe it's 99.9 percent of their brain power. But there's some space that's not devoted. Exclu- we can't say it's exclusive because there, is, there needs to be some thought of supporting oneself. Now, the question is: Is that considered? Is that considered in any way um, an interruption from service of God? Is that considered worldly pursuit, godly pursuit, worldly religion? You know, uh, observe his. You know, one spiritual pursuit and one's and one's physical pursuit, and it's not really the case because Rambam says clearly in the laws of Deus Peregimel. Rambam says um, that anybody who takes care of his body physically, and goes to work, and so on and so forth. Um, the Rambam says in, in, in the Hilchas Deis Peri Gimel that everything you do should be l'shem shamayim. You should, should be able to serve God. Eating, drinking, business, um, procreating. Everything is so that you can create, that you can live in a godly state. You should bring children into this world who will serve Hashem, and so on and so forth. So Rambam says, If someone goes in this path, Kol yom of all his life, kulan oived Hashem tamid. He's always serving Hashem. Afilu b'shasha noisim v'noisim. Even at the time that he's engaging in business. So again, a person like this, either a businessman who has this intention. This can even be a businessman who's not a person who's devoted. Whose Torah is his is, is his occupation that he's only giving work a tiny bit. But he's so a person who pretty much does work, but his intentions are to serve Hashem. So that he can make a living, so that with the spare time he can learn. But definitely a person who's Tairasa Yom Nasi, his whole life is devoted just to Torah study. But he goes out so that he doesn't make a chilol Hashem, doesn't have to come on to others, and he's able to support himself with the little bit of work that he does. So Rambam says that during that work, the work itself is considered serving God. It's considered serving Hashem. 
So the Rebbe says, take a look. He says, so that means that there is an ASEC. ASEC meaning an occupation. It means that today's days, there is an occupation that's not called worldly pursuit. It's called spiritual pursuit. It's godly pursuit. You're serving Hashem because you're etching out a little bit of a livelihood so you should be able to be healthy, so you should be able to study and pursue God. Yet, even though it is a justifiable cause and it's a good occupation and it's holy, 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 yet, when Mashiach will come, that's what the Ramah means to, to exclude when Maimonides uses the term that in, 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 by negating. We will not have any other occupation but to know God. That means even that little bit of work on which a person could be preoccupied today that's considered holy. It's a holy ASEC. It's a holy business. Yet even that will not be when Mashiach will come. The whole world will be busy with one thing, with knowing Hashem. Full attention, full focus, full 100%, only in one thing. And that is in the pursuit of Hashem. That's Mashiach. And why is that? How is it? So let's take a look. Maimonides, <coughs> Rambam, in Sanhedrin, in his introduction to Perik Chelek. Kol Yisrael Yashlam Chelek the Rambam has an introduction. In Pirish HaMishnah, Rambam wrote in addition to his book of Allah, he wrote a Pirish, an explanation on the Mishnah. So over there the Rambam says these words. He's describing the days of Mashiach. Hear these words. In those days, it will be extremely easy for people to find their Michya, their, their, their livelihood. Until with a tiny bit of exertion, that a person will exert himself, you'll achieve, you'll reap in a lot. So you might have to do something one day, a little bit, and yet you'll be wealthy, you'll have enough. And basically he's describing a little bit, you're seeing businesses today, people today, young startup companies in which... Everything is automated. Everything is set up in ways. I mean, obviously, it's, it, it takes a little bit to build these things. But once it's built, people can, can become so wealthy and they can have so much without, without any effort. So you're seeing it already today. And obviously, when Mashiach will come, this will exponentially grow to the point that you don't even have to give it any headspace. That's the idea. So the Ramam is saying, I mean, it seems like you have to do something, but the something is way, 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 way less than what was required by these great rabbis who Rabbi Yochanan needed to be a shoemaker every day or Rambam needed to be a physician which occupied his headspace. At that time, you won't have to give it any headspace because with a tiny little bit of something, people will have plenty, plenty, plenty. So it literally won't be on their minds at all. They'll have totally free minds to devote 24-7 only to Torah. And that's what Ramam says, that's what the, what the sages mean when they say Eretz Yisrael is going to give out finished cookies or finished breads. 
because it means that things will be <laughs> basically it's, 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 it's like the, the, the Gemara was talking about it as a joke. The Gemara says, not a joke, the, it looked to us like a joke. The Gemara says, well, Sheikh, look, come. The, the Eretz Yisrael will give out finished breads and the earth will give out finished breads and it will also give out clean milas. It will give out final finished garments. So people think, oh, what's the magic that's going to be? Well, today's days with 3D printing machines, you can print the house. You'll be able to print anything. I mean, obviously you need the setup. Now, and here's another idea, which we're not, the, 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 the general world, which is gonna realize that the real flood of knowledge and wisdom is coming from the land of Israel, from Torah, from the Jewish people that are learning, are gonna offer their services out only for the purpose that Jewish people should be able to study and learn and do what you need to do. Just bring us the knowledge, just keep on pumping. We're taking care, it's all being done. Even the little bit that we have to do will be many other volunteers. So therefore, we won't be busy at all. Now the truth is, Ramam uses the term not only the Jews, because eventually we will reach a point where everything will be automated and everything will be ro robotic. Again, Ramam didn't say in his days that that's what it means, robots. But today's days, it's already normal, it's conceivable in our minds that the whole world can be automated. In other words, the wor all the work that humans did till now, the domain, the inanimate object is going to do. Everybody's going to be out of jobs because you're not going to need any truckers anymore, no drivers anymore. Trucks will drive on their own, cars will drive on their own. Everything will be done, all farmers will be out because everything will be taken over by machinery. All that, and humans will be free to start doing what humans were created to do. And that is to get to know Hashem. And that's the emphasis the Rebbe said. It won't be anything else. Even legitimate Asik that's called serving Hashem today because you're doing it with the right purposes and you're only doing it minimal, yet even that will not be. Because with just, with, without any labor, we'll be able to achieve all of our financial obligations and our, receive all of our finances. Everything will be taken care of. We'll be able to engage in learning Torah. Now I remember what we said earlier. We said that the Rambam adds one more word. He says the world will not be busy with anything else. Ella bilvad. Bilvad. Bilvad comes to exclude something else. What else is there to exclude? So hear the depth. Let's try to finish this up pretty quick. What does it mean, Bilvad? So here's an amazing thing. In Torah study itself, there's two types of learning Torah. You can learn Torah because it's God's Torah. And therefore, you want to learn the Torah so that you can get to know Hashem. Torah is God's mind. When you're learning Torah, you're probing God's mind. The more Torah you know, the more your mind is cleaving to God's mind. The more your mind is becoming more godlike. And obviously in the Torah itself, there's the, the body of the Torah and there's the soul of the Torah. When you start learning especially the mysteries, the deeper on the, the deeper mystical element of every law of Torah, it's, it's, it's just crazy. But, so that's one way of learning and that's called Torah Lishma. The real learning of Torah Lishma means learning Torah just because it's, it's, it's God's Torah and therefore we want to learn it. But then there is another element to learning Torah. We need to learn Torahs because Torah is an instruction for life. God expects us to live according to certain code and in order to know how to do that you need to learn what's called Halacha Lamaisa. You need to know how to conduct yourself. <coughs> so you're not learning Torah where the Torah, the study of the Torah itself is not you're learning Hilchah Shabbos, the laws of Shabbos. So you're sitting out to learn Hilchah Shabbos, Mishnah Berurah, Shulchan Aruch Harav, Hilchah Shabbos. 
and, which is the code of Jewish law teaching you the laws of Shabbos, and your intention is not the learning. The intention is the information, so when Shabbos will come, you'll know what you're permitted, what you're not permitted. You're learning the laws of kashrus, of kosher, so you should know how to have a kosher kitchen, what you can eat, what you can't eat. So even though you're learning, but your purpose is not, the, it's not an end to itself, it's a means to an end. I'm learning so that I can live the right way. Now that's obviously a very, very, very justifiable cause of learning. Where you, and, 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 and even more than that, before a person can study Torah Lishma, Torah for the sake of Torah, Torah as an end to itself, they're obligated first to learn Torah, Shaloi Lishma. When I say Shaloi Lishma over here, I don't mean to be famous or Shaloi Lishma, I mean for, for, for ulterior motives that are not kosher or not admirable. We're talking about Shaloi Lishma. The first obligation to learn Torah is to learn all the Torah which will teach you how to conduct your life according to halacha. That's your obligation. It's your first obligation. Because if you don't know how to live, then you're going to make mistakes. And you're going to be guilty of it because you could have learned and you didn't learn. So if a person is spending time learning just for the entertainment of learning or even for the mitzvah of learning, but they're not learning first what they need to know so that they can live um, a life as a, as a, as a pious Jew, then that, 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 that's wrong. And that's according to the Shulchan Aruch. You learn Hilchus Talmud Torah, you're obligated to learn the parts of Torah that teach you halacha, especially the halacha that's Nogeya Bezman Azan these days. You have to learn that first. And only after you learn that can you learn other parts of Torah. Can you engage in learning Torah just for the sake of learning Torah? So Rambam is saying that when Mashiach will come, we are not that the Torah study itself is going to be Hashem. it's going to be only to know God Bilvad, only that exclusive we're not only we're going to learn Torah perfectly Lishma for the sake of Torah just to cleave to God not because we're going to need to learn so that we know the halach it's not going to be for any even in Torah itself it's going to be just for the sake of the Torah and the attachment to know Hashem through that, and not through not anything else. That's what the extra word bovad. It's it's an exclusion in Torah study. So you're going to say, hey, hold it. How am I going to know all the laws? Everybody's going to be born knowing all the laws. And the answer to that is, for that we can take a crash course. You can study the entire Torah <coughs> and get it done with. It might take you a year, it might take you two years, but we're going to live for a very long time after Mashiach comes, and we're going to live forever. So you can get that done very quickly, and then you're free to learn Torah just, just for the sake of learning Torah. You say, wait, wait, hold it. Today's days, why doesn't anybody do that? Just learn the whole Torah. Yeah. The answer is today we have a problem. The problem we have today is that we forget. We learn and we forget. The time we learn the second halacha, we forgot the first halacha. Then we have to review you say, oh yeah, no problem, learn all the laws of Shabbos, learn all the laws of Muktzah, learn all the laws of, of, of Tumah, today the Tumah Tara doesn't apply, all the laws of Erevin, learn all the laws of, uh, of uh, Kashras, Yoradeya, Shechayshem Mishpat, which deals with uh, liabilities one to each other, and so on and so forth, in the end, you'll know it all. All the laws of prayer and davening, Yomtev, Chametz, <laughs> the law is complicated. The answer is we learn one thing and the time you, you, you finish learning that and you start learning the next thing, the, whatever you learn first flies out, it goes on one side, goes out the other side, right? As my teacher would always yell at us as, as students in class. Says, Go, I'm, I, whatever I'm teaching, goes in one ear, goes out the other one. 
Everybody heard that from their teachers. And, but that problem is only a problem today's days. Because today's days, the world is still plagued by something called klipa. Klipa, the unholy, the powers of impurity. The powers of impurity make that spirituality doesn't stick. You know, when we were kids in New York and it snowed, there was always the sticky snow, which was always exciting because you would end up with like three inches, four inches, five, six inches of snow. Then there was the snow that would snow and there was nothing to celebrate because it didn't stick. In today's days, because we have a lot of klipa smeared all over us, a lot of impurity stuck all over us, so holiness, godly teachings, Torah doesn't stick. So we study and we forget, study and forget. When Mashiach will come, the spirit of impurity is going to be removed from the earth, and we're not going to forget. So you can study one time to know all the halacha, and once you've done that, you'll remember it forever, and then you can probe the mysteries and the hypoth and the hypotheses of Torah. Because real Torah study, when we learn Torah the way we're really supposed to, you can study Torah that has zero to do with practical observance, just literally hypothetical. Like a lot of times the Talmud goes into questions that you know, sometimes that are humorous, because you know these things will never happen. It's impossible. Like with Chametz, the Gemara has all kinds of questions that a one mouse comes in and another, and then three mice come in and black mice, and these things that don't happen. And what happens with the piece of... But we all study it, and you spoke, and we know that this is what God's thinking is all about. And there's the deepest existential mysteries that are hidden in these halachas. And, and those who enjoy learning Torah can study and study. And when Mashiach comes, we're all going to be enjoying it, because our minds will be pure. And then we can learn Torah without an end. That's what he means. To know God... Bilvad alone, only for that purpose. And then he says, Lefikach for that purpose. Let's go back over here. We're going to be great chachamim. And what does he mean by the extra word gedolim? Great, because in learning Torah, I was just touching upon it. You can learn, and then you can learn Torah in a way where you're actually causing the Torah to increase. Because you're, you yourself are finding new, new questions, new, new, and are, are asking, and no one ever explored. Just based on your study and your learning, you're asking, what would be in such a case, and what would happen? As you, so you're opening up a new, a, you're digging a new, a new avenue, and then the waters of Torah, which is the water of divine wisdom, will flow into it. And you say, well, I was the one who came up with that. Yeah, the Hashem gave every single person. If we're basing on the principles of what we learned, on the 13 principles that Hashem passed down to Moshe, and we're basing and we create a Torah mind, and we used to, we're learning Torah based on how the rabbis taught us to think, then every thought that a student will ever innovate, that innovation was given to Moshe at Sinai, meaning that God's flow of wisdom flows into it. And that's called Yagdil Torah V'yadir. That's called increasing the Torah into areas where even if it's not applicable, the Talmud says, even if it's never going to be Allah Lamaisa, it's just a complete hypothetical. That's increasing in Torah. And that's really what it means, Asek. It says when Mashiach will come, as we said earlier, Asek, Torah will, be, will become our preoccupation, will become our business. Now a business is only considered business, you're not a businessman if you work hard. 
you're a businessman if you make profit. A business is here to make a profit. So in Torah story, there also has to be a profit. A profit means your own innovation. When Mashiach will come, every single person, not only the rabbis, every single one of us will be innovative in Torah. Torah study will be like it never was. That's the idea. People don't, don't realize why we want Mashiach. We want Mashiach because we never got to study Torah. We're going to be totally everybody devoted only to this type of study. And we will innovate and we will get deeper and deeper and it will be endless. And the joy and the satisfaction and the thrill and the ecstasy and the bliss will grow and grow and grow. And the more we know, the more we will have. And it will reach a point of total obsession. It will become the holiest and greatest obsession. This is the obsession that mankind was meant to be obsessed with. Rambam talks about such an obsession. Rambam actually com compares it to a romance. Ramam says like a person who becomes completely obsessed with a girl. He becomes so taken by her, he can't take his mind off her. Ramam says someone who learns Torah and gets into it, it becomes literally obsessive. But this is the justifiable obsession because you're obsessed with God's mind, with the infinite brain, and this ultimate attachment. Let's bring it back down to earth. All that is about to happen now. We're standing at the threshold of that. And that's what the Rambam continues. He says, we will know the concealed. We will know concealed things. So what is the concealed things that we will know? <coughs> Can't be we will know the divine, the existence of God. Because that says later. What does the Rambam mean by that? He means we will know, we will go into the reasons of every halacha. We will go and the reasons, the, the behind the scene of every halacha. That's called the revealed part of the Torah is what's the halacha. In those days, we will all appreciate the, deep, the reasons of everything. And on the reasons on many levels, pshat, remez, drush, sod, we will know, re and that's called dvarim astumim. That's the concealed elements. And then deeper than that, we will also apprehend, we will know the mysteries of God Himself. Of all the spherot and attributes, we will all be unbelievable Kabbalists and mystics in knowing the divine. And even though Rambam says we can't know God, through Torah we can know Him. And when Rambam adds the words according to the Man's ability, everybody learns it, besides the Lubavitcher Rebbe. Everybody always learned it as a limitation. We will only know it, of course, you only know, like, oh, remember, you're human, you're human, you can only know what a human can know. The Rebbe says, who says the Ramah wants to limit you? He's not limiting you, he's saying the opposite. With your full power of all of your human resources, your entire brain, that's the idea. The human brain is so amazing. The human soul, the godly soul of the Jew especially is so expansive, is so unbelievably great. And you'll be able to take all of that power, everything. Today you can, because today we have so much that is, that is draining us. There's so much that is suppressing our powers. There's so much that is compromising the power of the Jew. But when Mashiach will come, the power of the soul, the power of the mind, the power of the human potential, we will know God with all of it according to all the power of the human and God programmed the human mind to be in a relationship with him so we could know him 
But that exploration will never end. And finally, the Rambam says, The earth will become filled with knowledge. What is the meaning of that? means that the earth is filled. When you say something fills something, means that there's no room for anything else. That's the idea. It fills no room for anything else. And that's the whole point over here. When Mashiach will come, there won't be any room for anything else in our lives. We will become consumed, completely consumed with knowing God, nothing. Because we won't have anything to bother us, nothing else to interfere us. And man will finally reach the ultimate obsession and ultimate attachment and ultimate connection. And Torah study will become mankind's ambition and, and, and pursuit of the, all of humanity. And there won't be room for anything else. And for how long will this be? Forever, because God is endless. And we will never get bored, we will never get tired. The, the amount of pleasure and energy that will go into this will only increase forever. And how much so, that's the meaning that it's full. Full means exclusion of everything else. And the Rambam includes also the last part of the verse. Because this adds a lot, like the water covers the sea. What is this adding like the waters covers the sea? Says the Rebbe, just, ugh, just unbelievable. After everything is said and done, when someone pursues something, knowledge, when you're trying to learn something, there is you, and there is the thing you're getting to know. And the two are two things. I want to know God. One of the things about me is that I'm into knowing, I'm, 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 this is, I'm a scientist, I love learning, I want studying. Intellectual pursuits is something that's very important to me. But still, you and your knowledge are two. <coughs> that's the emphasis, Rambam says, what the first says in the end, like the water covers the sea. When the water covers the sea, when you look at the ocean, you see only water. If you would part, uh, Pesach is coming, second days of Pesach, tonight, time of the parting of the sea, if you would part the sea, you would see there's a, there's a whole, first of all, there's an aquarium there. There's millions, billions of creatures under the water, beautiful, there's a whole world. And there's a whole, there's forests and trees and kelp. And, and, and what else, what do they call it there? Uh, new, um, the ecosystems that are below, below the water, the, 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 the reefs, coral reefs. I mean, it's, what goes on under the water is just spectacular. But it's one ocean, it's one sea. It's not like there is fish and there is trees and mountains, and valleys, and canyons. And then there is also water that's there. That the water is in between the trees, and the canyons, and the fish, there's water. No, there is one sweeping ocean. The kelp forests, the coral reefs, the fish, even the little tiny goldfish, the, the big whale, everything in the ocean is absolutely one with the ocean. It's one ocean. The living sea, that's what it is. That's going to eventually be the state of this world after Mashiach comes. 
knowledge of God will be so over, it will, it, it will be so much the identity of everything, it will fill every nook and cranny of existence to the point that what is everything? Another aspect of knowledge of God. That's all the world will be about. Knowledge of Hashem will be the everything of everything. But it won't cancel us. In other words, we're still who? We're still creatures. We're still human beings, a flesh and blood. We still have our personalities. But we're so, we're so devoted and dedicated and to a point where it has so merged that our, 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 the knowledge of Hashem is, is what we are completely all about. And it's written on everything. It's expressed through everything. Everything is just knowledge of Hashem. That's the Messianic age. Now we can appreciate just a tiny bit what I was talking about in the beginning. That when we're transitioning to this unbelievable time, unbelievable time, the Eberster God has forced us to let go. Let go, let go. What you think is so important, what you think you're controlling, what you think you're holding on to, what you think is like, oh, my business, let go. God made us all let go. That's what it's about. So let's conclude. Everybody should have a really good yontif. Let's just enter into my... Let's start now making God our business. Let's start learning. Let's start... Let's create just one big Mashiach. I always wanted to do it. Mashiach Academy. All we do is study the, the teachings of the future. The mysticism. Torah. Like Just enter already now in your own living rooms. Just study Torah. Live in, in this godly bliss. And I also want to say to all those rabbis and all those people who are busy speaking about punishments and God angry at the Jewish people and angry at the world and punishing us and sending us to our room and telling us come out when you know how to behave and boop, 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 and all that and I'm the please stop please stop that's not what it is this is not God's wrath it's not God being angry we're entering into a different era a different time and you're right, I'm going to admit, I can't explain why it had to come along with horror. And maybe that feeds into those who like to see Hashem as an angry God and who's got it over his head and he's had enough with all this stuff and he just wants to punish everybody and so on. That's... I have a question. I'd rather, I'd rather have a question. I don't know why people die. I don't have to know anything, but God is not angry and upset. Hashem can't wait already for the time when the world will be dancing, when we'll be so close to Him, when we'll be so unified with Him. And this is really what this is all about. We're beginning, Hashem is teaching us to relax, to let go. And let's already begin to acclimate, let's already begin to change. It's going to take a little while as we change. As we, but let's, let's, let's take the time that we have now to make the change and get on with the real business. The old business is going out of business. And we're going into a new business. This is our new business. Knowing Hashem. Forever. May we already see it this Pesach. And dance with Mashiach Tzadkeinu. Thank you.